Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to another episode of Fearless. And this month on January 29th, I will be attending and participating in the 48th March for Life in Washington, D.C. Last year, I attended the March for Life for the very first time, and little did I expect that that would be a day and experience that would forever change my life. I've always been pro-life. Of course, I voted for pro-life and pro-life issues, but it's never been my issue. I always thought that was um, a fight for somebody else. I was never really passionate about it until I attended the march. And with a combination of other factors weighing on my heart, like the far left pushing and advocating for this anti-life movement and fighting against the issue of life, I just felt guilty that I was not doing my part. But when I left the 2020 March for Life, I left inspired, I left encouraged, and I left forever changed with a passion to see this genocide end. But it's easy to jump into the fight when you're excited and you're at a big march or when you have a president and administration fighting for life, when there's success being made. But there are people and organizations who have been on the front lines of this issue for a long time, even when it hasn't been easy. So today, I am honored and excited to have one of those fierce advocates join me for the Fearless Podcast. Jeannie Mancini is the president of March for Life and is the only second president in the organization's history. Jeannie, thank you for joining us today on the Fearless Podcast. Oh, I'm so honored. Thank you for asking me. You and I, we've now had two Zoom calls. We even have a photo together in the Rose Garden on that historic day. Um, when Amy Coney Barrett was being nominated, but we've actually have never met in person. So hopefully here in a couple of weeks, we'll make that happen. I can't wait. I want to give you a huge hug. <laughs> I'll take it. But let's get, let's jump into this. This year marks the 48th March for Life. And for those who are listening who maybe have never attended or might not be too aware of what the March for Life is, paint us the picture of what it is and what this year's theme is. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so the March for Life uh, began, as you said, this is going to be our 48th March. So it began really 49 years ago. So with the anniversary, the first anniversary of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. And I know we throw those words around all the time, but what does that mean? Well, in 1973, January 22nd, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton passing at the Supreme Court made abortion legal through all trimesters around the United States. And so Many people were surprised because they saw that as a decision of judicial activism. So the first March for Life was the following January, and the organizers thought that it would be like a one-off, a two-off, because those decisions would be corrected at the Supreme Court. They never anticipated that here 48 years later, we'd still be marching, nor would they anticipate that the march would become the largest annual human rights demonstration worldwide. And so, yes, so the march is a march to make abortion unthinkable and a march to make it illegal as well. What is this year's theme? The theme is Together Strong, Life Unite. And the idea there is that, you know, it's it's really like the scripture passage about the different parts of the body that we're so much stronger together. There's a great quote by Mother Teresa, you can do what I can't do. I can do what you can't do, but together we can do great things 
And so it's, it's really, you know, working along those lines that as a movement, we need to come together and that we'll be much stronger together. And really, I mean, the tool of the devil is division. And we so often see that in the most important things, whether it's family, you know, division with husband and wife or children or what have you, or whether it's this issue or other things similar that often in the movement, we can be a very divided movement. And so it's also a clarion call interiorly that the movement that we would work more um, unified. Uh, The other thing about the theme, I could go on about the theme for a long time, but it's that abortion is divisive. Abortion divides mom and dad. It divides mom and baby. It divides culture. Um, and, and it's, it's inherently like disintegrating instead of integrating. And so choosing life and welcoming life is inherently, um, a unitive and an integrating kind of thing. I love that. Cause that just speaks to what my heart felt last year when I was there that, you know, together. And I, I do think our president has even helped that in the last four years, bring people to the table all together, that we're one voice to fight for this issue. And I'm thankful for that. Me too. Um, but that was mine. I, I let that fight be for other people. That was for somebody else. And I felt, no, this is for all people. This breaks the heart of God. And I just, um, I was so inspired, especially amount of the young people. And I might ask you a question of that, the amount of young people were there, but this is where we're all to be united. But Jeannie, you're one of the country's top pro-life voices. And I'm curious, was there a moment in your life that God really changed your heart, that this just isn't a political issue, but this is an issue of somebody's heart, that maybe there was somebody in your life that influenced you or inspired you, whether it was a teacher, but what was that moment or was there a moment that God changed your life for this? Yeah, there were a few different moments, but I would say the one that speaks to me loudest in terms of the dignity of the human person was, uh, so after college, I worked for a volunteer corps and I worked with young people who'd been, Uh, neglected or abused, very, very sad situations. They were in youth crisis shelters before they would go to foster care or to an adoptive situation or et cetera. So I really grappled and I was a person of faith. I had a a really beautiful conversion when I was in high school. And so like my eyes were open to faith and I had a relationship with the Lord. Um, But I was really grappling over the dignity of these young people. Not, not so much did they have dignity, but would it be if they'd never been born? So it was, you know, really wrestling with God through these deep philosophical questions and then seeing the quality of life of some of these young people that surprisingly sort of brought me out on the other end that, you know, who am I to judge the quote unquote value of anyone's life? And what's to say that this young boy who's struggling so deeply isn't going to be, you know, the person to discover the cure for cancer or what have you, or doesn't that his life has inherent dignity and value. And so that was a real changing moment. And there were other moments along the way, but I think for me, that was a moment of real transformation in my heart. You know, I was just mentioning the amount of young people that were there. And that was one thing that stuck out to me last year that I left really inspired. And these were young people that a generation that might be maybe left-leaning on different social issues. But when it comes to the issue of life, that they now have like, they do it with grace. They do it with truth. They have science behind them because Roe versus Wade is so archaic. There's no science behind the arguments that they had back uh, then. 
But what are some trends that you're seeing in this younger generation, whether it's high school students, college students, millennials like myself, are there trends you're starting to see? So, Sissy, I think that you just hit the nail on the head. First of all, anyone who comes to the March for Life will see that the large majority of participants are young people. I think it's 85 to 90 percent are young people. Um, And some of the points that you just made, I feel like are so important that I want to underscore them. Young people are really social justice warriors, right? And but they also don't see this as against social justice. They see social justice as beginning in the womb. And that is so true. I mean, that's the heart of our message here. Like you can't fight for all the other human dignity battles if you don't allow the first and most important human dignity battle to win, which is just the basic right to life. So young people in so many ways, and they're not cynical because they, you know, they haven't lived as long as some of us have lived. It's like, they're the best ambassadors for life. So all of that is true. And yes, in addition to that, what we are seeing is that the studies show that they are the largest cohort, the largest demographic cohort that is the most pro-life. So for example, the general social survey, which um, has been studying, you know, trends in, in social science basically for years, and it's done by the U.S. government, shows that the youngest cohort, which is 18 to 29-year-olds, who in 1972, when Roe happened, were the most pro-choice. They were sort of the most wide open group to, to abortion rights. And they've now they're the most strict in terms of abortion rights, which makes them the most pro-life. They think that abortion should the least amount of times versus, you know, some of the older demographics. So yes, young people are definitely moving in the direction of life. And that's not something you would see. You know, our culture is changing so drastically. Right. And our culture has become so aggressive against this life movement. Um, You know, you look at Hollywood. We look at People Magazine that did a spread of 28 celebrities who were bragging and proud of their abortion. There's websites where you can talk about how you're proud. I sadly know women who've had abortions. We all do. We all know somebody. That's why it's so personal to all of us. Um, I don't think anybody would be proud of it. It's something that they've carried for a long time. And what, um, with that said, are there days when you look at our culture? Because we, we, you fight this on two fronts. There's a cultural battle where you have to change the hearts of people. And we'll get to that where we want this to be unthinkable for generations to come. But you fight it on a cultural front, but also on a legal front. Can you explain those two different battles and how they're different? Yes. And I have to say, I'm so glad that you just mentioned what you did um, about, let me just go back and say one thing. The other thing that had a huge impact on me with this issue is two people very close to me. Um, I, I don't want to give too many you know, details because it would sort of give away their, their anonymity, but had abortions and came to me um, in tears, you know, and, and in one case it was years later and in another case it was months later, but suffering. And, and one of them saying to me, a day does not go by that I don't think about this. And I don't want another person to have to go through that. And, and by the way, if there's anyone listening right now who's struggling, there is always hope and healing in Christ. And Christ does not want people walking around with, with that hurt and that pain. And I think that's so important to emphasize. And so, um, so yes, to answer your question. So, so that is one of the reasons, by the way, that I became pro-life as well. It was, it was this combination of sort of human dignity and then seeing how it impacts people close to me and how deeply suffering from it. Um, Now, what does that mean in terms of working day in and day out? 
you know, the laws are definitely important. And then the heart's mind are really important. So at the March for Life, we're probably spread about equally in terms of working to change hearts and minds so that abortion becomes unthinkable so that no woman would ever want to choose abortion or feel backed into a corner that she doesn't have the support she needs. So we do a lot in the way of media interviews. We're very active on social media and it's always with, with a positive bent, you know, not ever using terms like baby killers or things like that, that sometimes um, people did use to use. Um, but it's more like the inherent attractiveness of life and how life empowers and, you know, the great work, of the pregnancy care centers, et cetera. And the laws are important. So what is legal is often seen as what is ethical, right? And we know um, that laws that are being impacted at the level of the state actually lower the number of abortions, whether it's parental consent and notification informed consent or these different kinds of common sense laws that they have an impact on who chooses abortion. So it's very important that we work for both. Um, I think working to change hearts and minds to make abortion unthinkable is much harder, but it's much more important. And, um, and then uh, the other thing is that culture is upstream of politics, right? So we change hearts and minds and then the politics follows. So we really are, you need to work at both of them. And we do at the March for Life. We've got a huge advocacy side, a huge lobby side, but, but we also work to change the hearts and minds. I had to have somebody remind me that the other day because I can get uh, passionate because I think they, of course, go together, but so are, we need people on both fronts battling because we do want this to be unthinkable. I want the generation to grow up. Um, you know, my generation looks at segregation, that that was unthinkable. Right. I want the future generations to look and think, you know, this genocide that happened on our hands, that that's unthinkable, that they would never even consider that. And that takes a lot of love. That takes a lot of grace and people on the front lines um, teaching that and changing our culture. And that's a hard battle to do especially with our media and with Hollywood and the movies and the celebration. We see what just happened in like Argentina. Um, it, it gives me chills to think of the celebration yeah. and the tears of joy that are happening over something so evil. That, Jeannie, I have a question. I know this is something you fought. It, maybe in the last four years, you've had some um, just like encouragement because so many people have come to this battle and joined it. You had an administration on your side, but are there days that you are frustrated or the days that you want to give up? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I think that there's, this is, this is a spiritual battle and a cultural battle. And I think um, there's also a lot of spiritual warfare involved in this. Um, we see that very much in January in particular, but all throughout the year working with the March, but there are definitely days I want to give up. I mean, um, the president with all of his energy and love for this issue, you know, can be a divisive figure. And to, so even within my own family to get such negative feedback um, or people that I've mentored it, it, there are some rough days. And then also, even though we've made so many wins to know that there are still over 800,000 abortions every single year, it's like, this is such a daunting task. Sometimes you just want to throw in the towel. And yet, we know that that's not from God and that these you know, great strides are being made. So we, we really have to steep everything we do in prayer, frankly. Yeah, the Christian Post just came out with an article. You're talking about how many abortions, but mm. 42, over 42 million abortions conducted in 2020 worldwide. Mm. And you know we can look at the battle just here on our front here in the U.S., but this is um, worldwide that it's just spreading, like as I just mentioned, Argentina. So mm. I think there are days that people can think this is impossible. Like I was a millennial. This was the law of the land. It wasn't going to go anywhere. We could do things to chip away. But I realized 
how God was orchestrating his people, that this could be overturned. This can become unthinkable. And there are days we want to give up or, um, you know, for me, I can just um, talk about it. I can come to the march and we're going to get that in a minute. But you're on the front lines daily. You are working on this with our culture and in DC when it comes to laws. And that is how thankful I am. But let's go. And I know you just wrote an article um, we, you know, we talk about our president and the current administration, but, you know, according to their campaign promises with Biden and Harris administration, we will just see such a stark contrast. Um, this might be the most pro-abortion administration in this country's history. What are the challenges in this movement that y'all are going to face? Well, on that policy end that we were talking about, I think we're going to Face more challenges than we've ever seen before. So I would I would say that it's not maybe the most pro-abortion administration. I think it, it it definitely is. So we saw with the Obama administration, particularly through the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare, the people would say that that was the widest sort of opening to abortion since Roe v. Wade, um, because they did so many tricky things with um, with some abortifacient drugs, etc. I mean, it was just really really terrible. I think we're going to see that leaned into now. So um, with president-elect, if he, Biden's nomination of Xavier uh, Becerra to HHS, I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't have done worse as far as that. That, uh, he's, that guy considers himself a champion of abortion. And um, furthermore, with Kamala Harris, you know, who went after David Delighton with the Center for Medical Progress and, and all of these things, she is arguably the most pro-abortion senator in history. I think we are just going to have one challenge after the other. Even things like the Hyde Amendment are going to be immediately up for grabs. So the Hyde Amendment, which is the single most impactful pro-life policy, it was enacted in the late 1970s and it saved millions and millions of lives. And also it protects people like you and me from our taxpayer dollars paying for abortions through Medicare and Medicaid and what have you. And um, I think that I think we're going to see terrible things as far as that's concerned. That's been popularly bipartisan. It's gone. It's gone as soon as they're in there. We're definitely praying. Um, I want to actually go back to the march, and let's highlight that before we close. You have a lot of um, historical moments at the march. Uh, The blizzard um, of—was it 1993 was the blizzard? Was that the year of 10,000 people? There have been a few blizzards. There was one in 1993. I remember. I wasn't working for the march yet. Then I was in college, but I remember that blizzard. But there was one more recently. I think it was 2006, maybe. But I mean, there were like 60 inches of snow. Our staff got locked into our hotel for like three days because DC shut down after the march. But we have marched in blizzards. We've marched in sub-zero temperatures. I mean, we've marched. <laughs> well, tell us some of those just historical moments because I know there's been quite a few. But is there one moment that maybe behind the scenes or a story of somebody's life that's forever etched in your heart that really sticks out? Yeah. Oh, gosh, there are so many. But um, sure. Okay, so historically, so we we marched after terrorist attacks. I mean, at 9-11, we've marched during government shutdowns, again, in blizzards and sub-zero temperatures. Every year we've marched. And so we will again in this year in a pandemic. And we're getting, you know, a lot of questioning about that. Like, why would you do that? But how can we not... I mean, as you know, with your dad's wonderful prayer march, it's these things are so important. And we've seen lots of other controversial marches this year, even in the height of COVID. And so how could we put a pause on this most critical issue at this time? I mean, it's it's all the more important as we're seeing this new administration come in. 
Um, as far as amazing stories, see, there have been so many along the way. One of the most remarkable for me, it's actually just the sheer fact that uh, both, so the march started, as I mentioned before, because of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. Well, the Roe of Roe v. Wade and the Doe of Doe v. Bolton both had massive conversions and spoke at the March for Life. So that's Norma McCorvey and Mary Kano. Another one is Bernard Nathanson. He was working for then, I forget what the name was, but it was the equivalent of NARAL Pro-Choice America, which is attributed to being the legal architect of legal abortion in America. Mm. And he committed tens of thousands of abortions in his lifetime. And he also had a massive conversion to this issue. And he spoke the March for Life. Oh. It's never too late. We've got to be praying for conversion of heart for these people because the truth is so attractive. And God, if you open the door, just a crack, he just runs in. And so it's so important that we're praying hard for these moments. And then I say that, and then I have to also say this for President Trump to speak of the March for Life last year, I think it was, I think God ordained it. I think God wanted it. There were so many little God things that happened even leading up to it. And it was, it was his decision. But it's the first time ever that we've had a president speak at the March for Life. And he draws a line in the sand now. Any pro-life president is going to have to speak at the March for Life if they really have strong bona fides on this issue. And just to see his own joy. And then he got out in front of the, um, in front of the protective you know, glass, walked right in front of it. He could have cared less about his own safety. And I can tell you from where I was standing, I can see snipers up left, right, up and down for his protection and all the buildings around us. And just to see the president could have cared less. He was so energized by those young people and so happy to be there. And out of the blue, he called me the next day just to talk about how amazing the march was. And, and I had never talked to him on the phone before. I'd, you know, So that was very special too. He just really kind of wanted to process it and how beautiful the marchers were in this issue and everything. It was really special. One thing that stuck out for me when I was there were just the stories of people. They were personal, just on their signs, whether it was a child that um, their mother chose life. And just every sign was almost a testimony and just beautiful to God's glory. And you mentioned how God can heal and God can redeem and restore a soul. I mean, stories that are a complete 180, a miracle when you're talking about who's spoken at the um, March for Life. And really quick before we close, um, I have a couple more questions. When I was there, you, um, this has been an issue that Catholics have taken. They have been on the forefront. They have fought for it. And I am so thankful for their voice in this issue. But why is it so important that evangelicals step up to the plate and we get involved and we participate more? You know, it is so important. And thank you for bringing up that point. It goes back, I think, to the theme, Together Strong, Life mm -hmm. Unites. So I am, I'm Catholic and I have worked in a number of evangelical environments. For example, I worked at Family Research Council um, before I worked at the March for Life. And I remember my brothers and sisters in Christ at FRC saying to me, why is it that evangelicals aren't so involved in the March for Life? And so the thing is, if we don't all do our part and join together, we're not going to be victorious on this. And yet we're so much stronger. We become this like impenetrable fence, you know, force if we're working together on this. And the truth of the matter is that my evangelical brothers and sisters are often stronger on a life issue than many of my Catholic brothers and sisters. And I think that we've tried to do everything possible to show how important it is that people would witness in this particular way, how that's important, not just prayer, which is incredibly important, but 
giving witness to the life that's being lost on a regular basis is also important in the public square. And I think my dad always taught me that we have more in common than we don't. And that's the love of God and Jesus. So it is, we are, that's what I saw. And um, that if we can come together and we can fight on this issue and not get separated on little things, but come together with the main goal to make abortion unthinkable in the hearts of man. And so tell us, March for Life, January 29th, what time does it get started? So um, the official march and rally begin right at noon. And we're so blessed to have you doing a prayer at the rally, coming in person and addressing the marchers in person. So thank you for that. We also have Matthew West uh, performing and he'll start at 11 o'clock. So um, if you can be there in person, that's wonderful. If you can watch virtually, that's wonderful too. Check us out at marchforlife.org. But the so the rally itself will go from about noon to one, and then we march from one until we're done, which is typically four or five. There are so many marchers. It's it's something to really behold. Uh, I am so excited to be a part of it this year. Jeannie, Satan and the enemy is alive and is alive well and powerful. And he has seen all the progress that we have made on this issue in the last four years. But I want to encourage people just how far we've come, that I think it's more important than ever that people show up saying, we're not going anywhere. We're gonna fight for this issue until we change the hearts of people. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're listening, get some friends, get your children, or maybe it's a mother-daughter weekend um, getaway, come to the March for Life this year. And I promise you, it will change your life and give you a burning passion inside of your heart for life. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless and having Jeannie Mancini today. I want to encourage you, be praying for her, be praying for the prayer march this year, that this would be a time that hearts would be changed. Pray for protection around those who are marching, but I want to encourage you, come if you can. This is a time for us to show up, that we're not going anywhere, that we will fight for this issue for the rest of our lives until we can change the heart of a generation, that this is unthinkable. I will put more information about the For the March for Life in my show notes and continue to follow me, Sissy Graham Lynch, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here's a quick update since Sissy and Jeannie spoke. The March for Life is now going to be a virtual event on Friday, January 29th. That makes it even easier to attend. All the information about the March for Life virtual event is in the show notes. We're